0: I'm Susan Dunlop and welcome to episode 26 of Coffee and Contemplation with Susan. Today we are having an 80-something-year-old lady on to share her story and um, it will be a really interesting chat. I found out in having uh, had this lady refer to me that she's also a very good friend of my mum's and very kindly she's letting us record this at my mother's house after a beautiful morning tea here this morning in wanton. The podcast is about authentic guests sharing stories, how they've embraced both the shadows and light that result from life experiences, vulnerabilities, successes, and giving insights, hope, and a smile, maybe to the women and men listening to the podcast. It's being listened to in Australia, USA, Canada, Ireland, and Russia, and is broadcast across eight platforms. I'm a life and business coach here in Noosa, and I began this podcast in February, intrigued by so many stories I hear in coaching. Our brains are literally boxes full of stories, and like everything to me, why keep things in a box or a cupboard or on a shelf when it can be given or shared for the benefit of self or others? So by way of preparation, I share a great long list of questions with each guest before the show to contemplate and choose from. And the questions each guest chooses might be ones that she enjoys contemplating and answering, uh, maybe feels at ease to chat about or might ease her into a particular theme to share. Um, it could just be something outside the square. But generally, I do know that most people actually enjoy that whole moment of contemplation that they maybe haven't given themselves in a very long time. So, like Anne last week, uh, today's guest was a referral by a previous guest. And it is exciting for me to have the referral starting to come through. And it lets me find out more about someone that I don't know that's living in my neighbourhood. So, this week we are talking with Jill. Jill has lived in Nusa for some, some time now. And I'll just, I'll let her tell her story. I won't go into too much detail. But it's Jill Shaw. And yeah, thank you, Jill, for joining me. Thank you very
1: much, Susan. It's a pleasure to be here, although slightly nerve-wracking. <laughs> we first came to Australia 25 years ago. Um, we had two of our four children emigrate here in the 80s and thought we'd better come and see them or obviously wanted to come and see them and the first time that we arrived in sydney brian said i'd love to live here i said well it's only a holiday you know things are different on holiday but we came every two years to see them and after about six years i was convinced that i too would love it here and never had any regrets.
0: Um, Where you came to, you said to Sydney initially, and then you ended up in Mackay, is that correct? Um,
1: We had a holiday in Mackay where Jane, our eldest daughter was. Um, We actually did several trips at different times of the year to see what it was like. And we had Christmas in Mackay which was a huge experience for us. We sat at the breakfast table, I remember, having had showers and we were dripping because it was so humid and hot. So we decided there and then that Mackay wasn't for us full time, Um, so we came south and visited Stephen who was in uh, Miami at the time and thought, we want to be near uh, a major airport to go fly back to England if we wanted to. And um, anyway, we had some friends in Minehead, which was where we lived at the time, who had a house in Tawantin. So they said, please use our house as a base and we thought, well, we don't need to look anywhere else to want, and had everything we wanted. Mm.
0: And I think that's the thing, even right now. Like, there's a lot of people in Australia um, considering relocating because of what's happening with COVID. So it's funny, even just listening to you. There's the things you've got to consider, like you know, where's going to suit you best, and yeah. and then where do you actually really want to live?
1: So although we weren't near either of the the um, families, we felt we were within easy distance of them
0: um before you came out to australia you were you born in bristol and maybe just how about we go right back because you would have been born before world war Two started or in the midst of it um
1: i was born a month after world war Two started in october 39 and i was born in scotland oh. because my father had a job up there and um We very quickly moved down to Bristol and he worked at the um, BAC, which was Bristol Aircraft Company. But he'd been at sea for uh, all his working life, so he quickly changed to, once the war was over, to going back to sea. So we were in Bristol and when I was four, uh, my mother discovered I was limping quite badly and took me to a specialist. And from there on, I was whisked into a an isolation hospital outside Bristol and found to have TB of the spine, something that doesn't happen nowadays. Uh, so that was a long period in hospital in a plaster bed, which is... Plaster of Paris, uh, shaped to the moulded to the shape of your body, so from the, my neck to the tip of my toes is plaster, and so the only thing I could move was my head and my arms.
0: So would that mean that you would have been pretty, um, like in a situation of high care, because that means you can't, you couldn't have gone to the bathroom or yeah. anything. how How did that work for you?
1: Uh, well. <laughs> I'm glad I was only little at the time, but this plaster bed was was on blocks of wood so that there was a space underneath to put a
0: bed pan. And, and you were, what did you say, four? Four and then eight. So, how was that? Like, so that would have been in wartime, and you know the the risk of all of that—that you were away from your mum. And how did how was it like to be in hospital back in that time? Like, could you have parents visit you every day and all that type of thing?
1: Oh no, parents didn't didn't um, visit more than once a week, for an hour or two hours maybe. And because it was an isolation hospital and outside of Bristol. My parents had to walk five miles to get a bus into the centre of Bristol and then catch another bus out to the country. And they'd bring with them treats, obviously. And when the, the visitors had gone, we'd all say, Well, what did you get today? And it was a fun time, really, because as children, we didn't know any different. We didn't know how sad it was for our parents. It was only really when I was an adult and had children of my own that I realised how awful it must have been for them.
0: Mm. And you were saying so it was an isolation hospital because you had TB, but were you in with other people that had other diseases that you would have been at risk from?
1: Um, No, not really. There was um, congenital heart disease and rheumatic fever, those sort of a polio, those sort of uh, conditions. But um, as a child, I didn't take any notice of it.
0: And talking about the treats, what was your favourite treat that you can remember your mother bringing into you?
1: Jelly, a bowl of jelly. Um, chocolate, of course, came near the top. Um, biscuits. But they had to be nice, sweet ones. <laughs> I think this is where I got my sweet tooth from. <laughs> all the things you shouldn't, you shouldn't eat nowadays. But... Yeah.
0: And I mean, so, so the they were obviously pretty major health hurdles. And I was thinking um, this week I was talking to my own mum about it. That you know she remembers things that you know back when you know people used to queue up for you know still getting rations and all sorts of things. But when I first spoke to you, you sort of said you didn't recall much around the whole. Um, Experience of World War Two. Do you think did you miss all of that because you were in hospital?
1: I think so. I I do remember coming out and finding that we had to have ration books for everything, and going to the shop, the local grocers, and having to get your ration book out. And you had so much for margarine, like an ounce or two ounces a week. Um, So we sort
0: of lived through difficult times but you just accepted them yeah. um was bristol in the midst of anything that you had to go to any of the shelters during any yes. of the war and, yeah.
1: yes we had an air raid shelter in the garden and uh, it was a um, a major city with um there were raids every night going over planes going over and my father was a, a spotter for the aircraft the enemy aircraft going over
0: and for you as a child what did that feel like was that were you were you fearful or was this just life as you know it, it was life yes yeah um, I, was thinking, I was thinking too from our chat that um, like moving then forward through your life that you, you came to Australia and, um, and you did share that you had um, one son and then you, um, you went back to have a, a second child and it made me think in terms of what we take for granted now because um, I'm a bit similar to Jill in that um, I've got rhesus negative blood and all my children have got O positive and, you know, as I had a baby, it meant that I had to have a, um, I think it was called an anti-D injection straight after the baby. You know, no, no problem to me because I just lay there and went, yeah, pop the needle in, yeah. next baby, next baby. But for Jill, she didn't have that to take, um, take for granted. So I thought maybe we'd like to just chat a little bit about that and then the mentoring work that you went on to do after that.
1: Yes. Um, well, my first baby was born in 1964, which was before the anti-D. Had been um, discovered. So I was fine with him being the first baby, but after the birth, I apparently made a lot of antibodies. So any future baby, unless my husband was rhesus negative, would be badly affected. So uh, when I came to be pregnant again, which was in 1971. Uh, I arrived and the anti-D had been in operation for several years by then, but it was too late for me. I couldn't have it then. So the baby that I was carrying was more and more affected and I went into hospital in Bristol, which was hundred miles from where we lived so I had to leave the family at home and Brian only came up to see me once a week or twice a week because he was looking after them all and the baby got more and more sick and um, I had several plasmapheresis techniques given to me which means Taking blood from me, whole blood, putting it into a centrifugal force and getting out the antibodies and putting the plasma back. So, that's, this was while I was in hospital, and then they realised that it wasn't going to make any difference, and the baby was born, stillborn. Mm-hmm.
0: Very very close to um full term too. Yes, thirty eight so, weeks. Oh so yeah, I was pretty huge. Yeah. Yeah. And um and with that did did you find in that time that there was um good support from the the healthcare system for someone like yourself? That was obviously quite a, a lot to of grief that you would have been experiencing.
1: Not really. No. Um I was working for a GP at that time. And he was amazing. He was amazing all through the time I worked for him, which was thirty years. Um, so he was a big help. But apart from that, I didn't have any counselling or anything.
0: Okay. And you also said then that they um, they called upon you later, or I don't know whether it was that soon or later, that to um, mentor other young women who have experienced nearly full term. Um, pregnancies who also lost their babies what was that type of work and how did that affect you having experienced it yourself
1: well um i think i had to sort of pull myself together fairly quickly for the for the sake of the other children in the family i couldn't go grieving you know outwardly so much um so when i was ready i found a, a a group of people who were talking about this sort of thing, losing babies, and I asked to join. And then they said, well, I think you'd be good to counsel somebody. So I did that, went to their homes and counseled them. They could have been um, young girls who were just having their first uh, miscarriage early on or late uh, stillborn children yeah.
0: and you said you said you supported them until they could get back off their feet and yes
1: again. I saw them for several months I suppose it was a bit like a psychologist nowadays but there didn't seem to be people around in that day those days yeah.
0: and do you think that I mean that's almost like that um, the connection that we have in our communities was that something that was more obvious to you then that people did come in to support from just like you just being a, a normal woman in the su- in yes. a, a suburb you came in and helped other people like versus now you'd have to go and find someone to do that yes
1: yeah. now I can't remember how the connection arose it might have been through the doctor probably was
0: mm-hmm.
1: but um yes I found it very rewarding and having got over the initial um, shock and grief of it all I was able to look at it from somebody else's
0: point of view see how they coped that's amazing yeah it just made me realize that It is one of the things, there's so many things now that we take for granted that just wasn't something that was available to you Mm -mm. um, back, you know, as you were a young woman, you know, going through that. Um, So you had those life hurdles when you were young and you said when you were eight you ended up back in hospital for like it was over a year, wasn't it? Um,
1: Yes, I I was in hospital initially when I was four for nine months and then I recovered, learned to walk again and then i had measles mumps and chickenpox one after the other in the spring of a year and i was eight by this time and that affected the tb which was obviously dormant in me so back into hospital by which time they'd got uh, sulfonamides to cope with um Tb, so I was given sulfonamides back in a plaster bed again and I was there for two years so out of my childhood I was in hospital in
0: a plaster bed for over two years so just even logistics of that was that them having to actually keep on increasing the size of your plaster bed of course
1: yes every few months when I grew I had another one done And um, after maybe six months, um, they gave me a front one because it was only a half one, uh, just my back. And then they did the front of me so that I could be turned over and look from the bottom of the bed out towards everything happening in the ward. Okay.
0: Was that, so just thinking, I mean, sorry, my mind swings backwards and forwards. It's just It's just really interesting. But I was thinking like if someone was in, say now, in a in an aged care home or in a hospital and you were made to lay in a plaster bed, would you not have had um, pressure sores and all of that thing? How, was your, how did your body cope with actually being in a plaster bed? Do you remember?
1: I don't. I, I never remember having pressure sores. So there must be very good nurses.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And your skin's still beautiful, so maybe it was just that your skin was lovely back then. (laughs) Um, What's the most important thing to you in the world, Um, just as a a wider aspect type of conversation now? So what's really important to you and what do you love doing the most?
1: I love talking to people and helping them, Mm -hmm. if I can. Uh, I'm a very positive person and I like to be happy. I'm extremely happy where I am now. I had a lovely marriage. Um, I was married to Brian for 48 years and uh, he came into Caramar before me, two and a half years before me. I was in the dementia unit and so of course I knew Caramar quite well because I'd visit. Uh, And then Out of the blue, although my name was on the list to come in, I had a phone call to say, Jill, we've got a bed if you'd like it. And it was, it struck me, (laughs) goodness me, I didn't think I'd be invited to come in yet. I thought it'd be another two or three years. But I came and looked. I mean, I was having trouble with my back and with walking. I had to walk 20 minutes to get on a bus to come and visit Brian. So life was getting a bit tricky. Mm. Um, So I came and had a look and I thought, yes, I think this is going to be good. So within five days, I had to come in. And so every day for three weeks, I went back to my unit, cleared it up which is uh, a major job, if anyone knows me. They know that I've still got masses in my room, and they say, I'm sure you don't need all this, (laughs) Jill. But I do, because I love sewing and knitting and any kind of craft, so I'm never at a loss for doing things, Mm. reading and all that sort of thing and
0: I mean just interesting what you just started with that the other day I did pick that up from you when we were talking about COVID and um you know the impact on you in relation to what's going on and you said it's actually just about you know the acceptance of it that you've just got to make the most of it and you know it's about staying positive and that's what what you're saying now that that's who you are how do you feel um that's been generally for um people in you know their 80s and whatnot are they feeling positive and just getting on with it?
1: I think they are. I think to begin with, when we were locked down, it was rather a shock. Um, but the diversional therapists here at Karama are absolutely amazing. They made every effort to make our, ha- our life exciting, interesting. We couldn't have so many outside people come in to give concerts, but they got a coffee cart so we could go down and mix with other people, other residents. Um, We could stay uh, socially distanced, but we could see the others. We couldn't see our friends and family so much. But um, we had lovely... things happening like um, the staff would once a week dress up uh, and uh, various um, costumes were secured from goodness knows where and i sometimes was involved in it so i think the the funniest one for me was, uh, oh, well, two. I was dressed as a lion once. Uh, I think it was probably animals or Disney, I think. But, and then another one was some uh, various uh, countries. So I chose Mrs. Bouquet. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be perfect at that. <laughs> That's what people said. Sorry about that, but you so, were there. So I had the gloves and the hat and, you know, the cup of tea.
0: Oh, fabulous. That's good. So so you, you've made light of it as yes. such. Yeah. And, and And to me... It's the, like, I mean, I obviously served aged care for many years. And, you no, know, like, I know you're living in a unit, like, you were there earlier than you thought you would have to be. But I know people, including mum, who's hiding through there in a bedroom, would talk with dread about, don't send me to a nursing home. You know, what's the experience really like for you? You know, just maybe a few good things and a few things that you feel that aged care could do better.
1: The only thing that I have found tricky. Was when I first went in blending with seven other people in a lodge I hadn't ever had that experience before I'd never been to, to boarding school so suddenly you're mixing with people all different uh, backgrounds and illnesses and some like music some hated music uh, you had to be well you felt you had to be quiet when they needed to be quiet so you know those were the difficult things but the staff are absolutely amazing they're friends they smile at you and talk to you as you're walking along you meet somebody you don't know and they'll smile at you and and talk, and everybody knows your name. So I feel it's a big, big family. Okay. Mm.
0: So so in terms of, like, as you are saying, like you, you had the TB and, you know, you've got a walker. So if you were trying to right now be living at home in your own unit compared to the nursing home, what do you think that would have been like?
1: I think it would have been very lonely. Hmm. Very lonely. Because... Um, I would have found it difficult to go to the shops and get stuff. I had uh, Blue Care helping me at home, but not enough to be there full time, obviously, or only more than an hour, a couple of times a week. But here we have all the medication given to you. Um, You have physio for no cost podiatry for no cost, all these extra things that you don't think about. And um, people say, well, isn't it expensive? It's not if you if you work it out. Mm. You have some of your pension left f- for you, and if you have no capital behind you, you can still manage. Okay. And um, we used to have and i'm sure we will have soon visits to suit um, the civic to go shopping once a week or once a fortnight and have coffee there we can now things are easing quite a lot we can go out on the bus and we can get off the bus we've been going out the last six months i suppose for a ride for an hour just looking at the scenery but not getting off now we can get off and we can sit in a park and have morning tea which we take with us so I wouldn't be afraid of it it's just lovely if you're prepared to be open and helpful
0: Mm. people are so nice to you that's lovely to hear because that's um, – and I think even in terms of I think a lot of the um, – all, po- all ages of the population right now have experienced such a strange year that, you know, that even what you're saying, like going out on that bus trip and just not even getting off the bus. Mm. Isn't it funny how much we appreciate now that we didn't – we probably took the, that for granted as well?
1: Yes. I remember the first time we went out after being in lockdown for a few months um, – and seeing trees in blossom that you know different trees that we haven't got around our gardens yeah. and that was lovely seeing flowers and
0: yeah. the sea. And, mm. um, in terms of with Covid um, again so just on that just lightly is this the um, one time in your life apart from I know you are in hospital but say as, a, as an adult have you ever experienced this sort of level of restrictions and rules and and all of this that's going on what, what are your thoughts on all of that
1: no I haven't experienced that before but I agree with it I think we were so safe there mm. safer than if I'd been at home in my unit because I would have been going out in a taxi or possibly on a bus, and not knowing what I was encountering on the way.
0: Yeah, and that's the um that's the thing I think is you know like I, I know from having spoken to Megan um you know weeks ago now um that that's what their whole intention was but she did say to me that um they were just amazed at the the resilience and um all of all of the residents just deciding what they needed and so it's not like you've had that um your, your choices taken away from you you've all participated as a community yes. within a community
1: yes and i think staying positive
0: is the answer we you know what we're actually so close to the end of our 30 minutes it's a little gone fast hasn't so what i would like to just ask you um i know you didn't actually give me an idea of a favorite quote and that's okay but you do have a favorite toe tapping song what would that be
1: you are my sunshine.
0: Oh, I love it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, and when I was a child, I was called Sunshine.
0: Oh, were you? Oh, and you've got a beautiful yellow dress on today. So
1: <laughs> <laughs> so um, it reminds me of those times. Okay. And uh, I think it was probably a wartime song
0: it's quite uplifting isn't it there's no way you could actually sing you are my sunshine I I suppose you could you could have a cry while you're singing it but I think mostly (laughs) you'd have a bit of a smile on your face I think when you're singing that yes Um, Jill I really appreciate you coming together you don't realize everyone what Jill and I went through to actually make this happen because we did like a few times have struggled with technology and I think no one needs to apologize for struggling with technology in um, this year because we're all trying new platforms and all sorts of things but yeah, Jill and I managed to get on screen the other day and then that was as far as we got. So now we're sitting face-to-face and I really appreciate Jill is a kind lady to let me test out um, doing a, a session face-to-face. It's the very first one. So I really appreciate that, Jill.
1: <laughs> Not just all. it's you doing the technology.
0: <laughs> we'll get there. I think we're all getting there. But, um, you know, I think, listeners, the reason why I, I've made this podcast about people from every decade of life... And it's funny, I was thinking the other day when I was going to have Jill on that I remember when I was um, just 20, I was getting married and my nan was in her 80s at that stage. And, you know, when you're 20, you think 80-year-olds are just like, that's it, they're done, the end of the world, you know. But as I've got to 50 and I'm meeting someone like Jill and even my mum's in her 70s, you realise they've actually got a long way to go. Yes! I'm now
1: planning my 90th birthday.
0: Oh, good, good. Well,
1: <laughs> I had a wonderful birthday last year for my 80th. Mm. And so I've got a neighbour who's the same age as me. So we said, right, we'll have a party when we're 90.
0: Oh, OK. So you're going to make that a combined 180th or something.
1: Oh, no. <laughs> I hadn't thought of that.
0: <laughs> or go split it halfway and make it a 45 and 45. <laughs> what did you do for your 90, um, your 80th?
1: Um, I had a party in the, in the um, community centre and I started inviting outside friends and then I got bigger and bigger and bigger and I actually had 80 people.
0: Oh, okay. that was the right number, wasn't it? It was <laughs> and I
1: had a, uh, one of the uh, care staff who's, who does guitar and singing and we had dancing
0: it was a fantastic night Okay, so is there any last words of wisdom that you can share in relation to 2020 and where we are right now in your life? I think if you are unhappy try and talk to somebody
1: positive and uh, ask because people are happy to share with you if you're nervous and uh, there's lots of to be thankful for in life, just accept it all.
0: Hmm. That's beautiful. Thank you. Be yeah. happy. Yeah. Be happy. Don't worry. Be happy. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So thank you again, Jill, and thank you, listeners, for um, tuning in today. And I hope you got something out of Jill's story. As I said, we sort of chopped backwards and forwards, but you know that's um eighty years of life that you know Jill um, skipped across there. And uh, we went from you know her early childhood, and obviously there was the war, and then all that time in hospital, and obviously you know things you take for granted. And, you know, and her giving back at a time when a lot of women probably couldn't have actually stood up themselves to actually want to give back. So I really appreciate your time, Jill, and um, everyone enjoy your week. Until next time, thank you very much. Thank you.